0: Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org now. Here's Pastor Rafael.
1: Well, hello. I'm Rafael Martinez. I'm a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and a director of Spirit Watch Ministries. And it's an outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. And our podcast is called Where Are We Going? And it seeks to supply answers to a great question that a lot of people are asking these days about the direction our world is taking. Uh, as you can see uh, from recent news, or uh, from what's going on in Ukraine, to what's going maybe going right outside right your door, our days are increasingly becoming shadowed by more and more anxiety, and violence, deception, and oppression at all levels. And it's a big world full of a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And it's it's difficult to really understand sometimes where our world is really heading. But uh, what our podcast called "Where Are We Going?" is about. It's something that's trying to do all it can to shine light and hope where we possibly can. And these podcasts will give you a solidly biblical perspective on our deceptive times of trouble that we're called to shed a light on. So we've been covering cultism, deception, and spiritual abuse issues since we launched a little over a year ago. And an upcoming podcast will touch on the other deeper issues driving these, sadly, all too visible signs of even deeper trouble in human society. So we really hope you'll keep, joining us for those as well it's really easy to find our podcast on the internet at our dot org ministry website or on facebook using the search term spirit Watch ministries uh, now links to them will be on our home page and on our facebook page as well for easy access with a couple of mouse clicks so so bookmark us and share the links with your friends uh your family uh your mother-in-law uh your um uh your 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 crazy aunt, uh, Flora, I mean anybody you possibly can. Uh, just share them who, who you can uh, and just help us build our audience if you don't mind. We're so now available on on Spotify and on a variety of different other online venues, which is really great. and we're hoping that uh, if you're a visitor today, we want to thank you for coming by. We ask at your bookmark us and hope you'll find something that you'll come back to listen to. And um, so for today, we found it uh, unfortunately quite necessary to continue to press on with our ministry of discernment, focused entirely upon the Xenos Dwell Movement based in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we've been having various ex-members of Xenos on our podcast here to give a perspective on its doings that, that I assure you is not something that the church is going to want anyone to, quote, dwell on, end quote, if I may be excused for the terrible pun. But the far more terrible irony is lost here, unfortunately. There, there have been a lot of dark doings in that church for decades, which can't be hidden anymore. And the Zenos Dwell community has been faced with the testimony of a growing number of its former members who indeed want to dwell on these things. And today we're going to be hosting another interview featuring one of those voices. Now, despite its professed goal of glorifying God and advancing His kingdom uh, here on earth, as, uh, as they claim to actually be doing, The movement actually has inflicted thousands of people with religious abuses easily as outrageous as those in cultic movements like the Mormon, Unification, and Seventh-day Adventist churches. Uh, What is religious abuse? Uh, Well, we're glad you asked that question. Uh, It's a very, very, uh, very relevant one. Religious abuse is the inner psychological and emotional trauma suffered by members of authoritarian communities of faith, whose leaders deceptively use manipulative teachings and practices to abusively control their thoughts and behavior, no matter the member's personal costs and whether or not the abuse was intentional or not. Whether or not they, they want it to be abusive or not is beside the point. The effect remains the same. It's most clearly seen in that micromanaged control of church members' lives, which unfortunately is all too familiar with too many people everywhere. And they're compelled to live life as their church illegitimately demands it to be lived. It's not an issue of conscience or of loving God and and wanting to serve him for that reason. It's something that they really believe they they have to demand of you. But let's be clear on this. This is hardly the only place that this sort of abuse occurs. It's just the most visible aspect of a very toxic movement, sordid congregational dynamic. And such a group like Xenos is managed by an unconscionably compelling amount of threatenings, imposed fear and shame, and ruthlessly cold and callous discipline that underscores its seemingly benign and inspiring public image that it puts forth. Our work on a yet-to-be-released documentary on Xenos last December will document these daily abuses and spiritual outrages that the movement has perpetuated over 50 years. Um, we really want to get down to the bottom of that in our own small way and help provide people who've been a part of that and have been affected and impacted deeply by that to go ahead and, and, and share what they've seen. Uh, many of them are part of a second or even third generation of people raised within the movement who knew nothing, who knew nothing else but the culture, the vibe, and the control of the Zenos' worldview. And many of them are starting to realize that they're dabbling with the unforgivable sin of having a different opinion at the Xenos party line isn't really unforgivable. I'm glad to hear that many of you are starting to finally shake off the mind control and find their voice. And today's guest is one of these. Uh, Amy Grover, who are, we are delighted to invite to our virtual studio, is uh, going to be sharing some of these insights from her own perspective. Uh, she was back in our virtual green room, enjoying some of my wife's Puerto Rican flan. I hope it was good. Uh, I'm diabetic and I can't eat that stuff, so. But I hope you enjoyed it, Amy. And I'm sure <laughs> you have a bit more to say if you rush the crumbs off. Uh, it's, it's virtual flan, so it shouldn't be too fattening. And your background with the Zenos is something that I, I really appreciate. What stepping forward to you to share. So uh, she's with us here, and Amy's once again. It's, it's a pleasure to to have you with us here today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So so really what led you to step forward now uh to offer your testimony today?
2: Yeah, so um just as a little background, um I was born and raised in Xenos. Um my name may be familiar to some who are there or have been there. Um, my mother actually uh, joined back in the fish house days when she was in high school and I'm 34 to give you perspective on how long ago that was wow. <laughs> um so I grew up in the church and my parents are both still in the church so I have I've been we've been able to negotiate kind of a relationship Relationship that works where we don't really talk about church or spiritual things that much just because it's such a sensitive subject for all of us. But um, that relationship and its importance to me was really holding me back from wanting to come out publicly like some of my friends um, and other, you know, ex-members have been doing. Um, But really the last straw for me was... um, the response well published to the Daily Beast article um, I mean there were there are a lot of issues with it, but the main thing that really got to me was the claim that the group does not teach people to uh, cut out um, members who have left the church or who have been disciplined, hmm. and that just is blatantly untrue (laughs) I knew that from my personal experience that um we Mm. can get into uh but I knew from my experience that had just caused me much trauma that that is definitely not the case um and I just really felt that I needed to share my story so that people know what's really going on or what has gone on in the past obviously um I've been out of the church for almost 15 years, so I can't speak to what's happening right now. But I definitely can share my experience of what I went through and what yeah. I was taught and what I was told, and it definitely wasn't <laughs> what that response said they teach. Yeah.
1: Sure. Well, the, the the Daily Beast article uh, you're talking about now that's that's obviously one of the internet's most well. Well read, uh, uh, websites, uh, news websites out there. It's got its own very distinctive kind of, uh, uh, take on things. And you know, a lot of people read it. It's, it's a very wide, wide, uh, widely known, uh, uh internet, uh, easing. I think they called them back in those days. <laughs> um, but what, um, what, what was it about? What were some of the, the, the main things that stood out from that other than, other than what you just mentioned, other than a, a completely, uh, uh, a completely controversial thing that the, uh, that, so, that somebody wrote there to it. Uh, what were some of the things about this article that, that apparently I've getting, uh, am getting a lot of people in you Xenos know, pretty worked up because, uh, they had to respond to it and apparently it's, it's, uh, it's not died down. From what I understand, it's getting far more, uh, far more, um attention within leadership.
2: Yeah, so there definitely are, a lot of things that I could respond to on it. Um, what the overall theme that I think really bothered me about it was kind of just the attitude that dwells response projected. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like listening to people to hear what has happened to them, hear their experience and try to make, have some self-reflection and figure out why so many people coming out of our church are saying the same thing. It was more like, I'm going to stay at my feet and say, we did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. Mm. And to me, that just showed a real, just like a real lack of regard for the way that the church's actions affect other people. Um, right. And just a real, it was just—it's just a real slap in the face, honestly, to those of us who have left and who have, you know, gone to therapy for years and all the things that we have to do to kind of come come to terms with what happened to us. Um, right. You know, to then just say, uh, "Well, that's what. This is why that's wrong, and this is why that's wrong," without just having any open-mindedness to lo- use it as an opportunity to learn, grow, improve, make the church a better place they kind of are insistent like we're doing everything right no room for girls um and so for me that was just really distressing um to see that attitude come forth from a group that you know proclaims to follow Christian values Uh, one of the main ones is repentance um and you know love, compassion and empathy all these things just to not See that in that response yeah. was very yeah. disheartening. Yeah, you yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I just sorry, have yeah. one
1: more thing. Go,
2: ahead, <laughs> no, go something that, uh, really put it into perspective for me too is, um, my friend Katie Reinecker, who you had on, uh, your podcast a couple of weeks ago, her boyfriend had, um, tried to like post a review on Google about Dwell of uh, saying that something about her having been abused there. Well, he accidentally posted it on the wrong dwell churches uh, Google page or whatever and that church immediately figured out how to call him. They were horrified. They were like, oh my gosh, someone's been abused by our church. Tell us what happened. Like, trying to, like, really? fix it and see what happened. And just like, when she told that story to me, it just really sunk in. Like, that is how wow. a church should respond when people claim that they're being hurt and abused by their church. And this was just one person, you know, on a That's Google review. Yeah. And so like, and the fact, like obviously, like it shouldn't even be mind blowing, but it was mind blowing because I'm so used to the way that Dwell Zenos responds to these things.
1: Well, wow, I didn't know about that. Well, wow. so there was another church that he actually posted on and they immediately responded and reached out and, yes. and wanted to make, wanted to clear the air thinking that you were speaking of them. And, yeah, and, that was, and it was, of course, it was nothing. Wow. just the difference is like night and day, isn't it? It's amazing.
2: Absolutely.
1: You know yeah. that article said uh, the Daily Beast interviewed twenty-five former Dwell followers whose membership spans nearly four decades. That's unbelievable, and that's kind of where where we came from in the documentary. That's about the same. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, demographic. That's about the same sort of a, sort of a, a populace that we were able to, to to find in a week's time that approached us and. The article goes on to say, while the details of the experiences differed, the result was the same. Dwell, they all said, was a church that drew them in when they were young or lonely, showered them with attention and confidence, and then quickly turned dark. A church that pressured them to relinquish all their free time, to cut their ties out to their friends and family, to move into group houses with their fellow members. A church that dictated who they could date. A church that pressured them to stay in abusive marriages. A church that warned them that walking away from God would be walking away from God, and and yet in your situation, to what I understand, um, you're one of the you're one of the um, um Amy you you uh, actually are what I have heard called a Xenos baby. Uh, you actually yes. are, were one of the one of the first and second generations, a second or I think, or third generation uh of some that was actually raised uh, in, in the church. Like you said, your parents harken back to the old days of the Fish House. Uh, obviously, they believe in the vision that Dennis McCallum and Gary DeLashman were putting forth. Uh, so uh, what did your parents, if you don't mind me asking about that, uh, what were your parents, what, how did they get involved, and how did they really, you know, why did they stay? What was it about that that, that really drew them to, to really cast their lot with them? Can you, any of, memories of that? i think about it.
2: Some memories, I'm sure. Uh, my mother was raised Catholic, um, and she found the non-traditional and intellectual approach that I guess then Fish House and Xenos or whatever, all their iterations of names. She is a very intellectual person. so mm-hmm. She was definitely drawn to that. Um, my dad is kind of the opposite. He came from a, Kind of hard partying lifestyle, and he found a lot of freedom from that in uh xenos, and so for him, that was uh really i think the primary factor that drew them there um but I think ultimately what it comes down to is that they love god um they want to yes. follow God, and that's you know the so for both of them really, that's the only way that. They've ever known how to
1: do that. Right, sure. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that, that is how movements like, like Dwell and other, other abusive groups do. I mean, they, 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 they attract people with very noble ideals. And there's nothing Absolutely. wrong with those. It's, it's just how it gets articulated, how it gets propagated among people and how it affects them. That's when all, that's when Things do get dark, you know. Uh, well, so, so you were raised in a place like Zenos, and uh, under that that very benign and yet, you know, very very different influence. Uh, what was that kind of environment like? What, what was? What, can you recall any 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 distinctive things about Xenos that that helped you see that you know that uh, um, you felt like you were you were going to change the world, and, and you were the truest expression of the kingdom of God. Uh what were some of those memories like as you grew up under that kind of environment? Because that was obviously something that they that they obviously were 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 uh uh propagating.
2: Yeah. So um I it's hard because it's just such a long period of my life, it's hard to kind of summarize and isolate things. Sure. Um but I think where that really started um, coming out was when I was in middle school Um, and then especially then it ramps up more in high school and then it ramps up more in the college group. Um, I will say that because Zenos is a home church based group, I think a lot of people have wildly different experiences um, Mm. depending on, you know, who is leading their particular home church Right. Um, so that is something that, you know, I, I think is important to note, um, that not everyone is going to have the exact same experience. Right.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. So, but in, um,
1: yeah, anyway, back
2: in the high school group, um, especially the like pressure to start bringing people out and, you know, uh, I started teaching as well when I was in high school I would teach the middle school groups and a couple times I taught the like larger high school group as well as the small high school group. so they kind of give you this like sense of purpose um which you know is not terrible in and of itself but it's kind of presented in a way like this is your doing eternal things here. This is the most important thing. Um and this is the only way you can get this kind of thing. Um Yeah.
1: So they was so as you as you grew as uh, that was uh, apparently that was that was part of the vision that Zen was imparting to everybody that, you know, that they're really, you know, we're really a cutting edge church. And we're we're following the Bible more correctly or more better than others. Uh and and that's and in, in essence because we're a high commitment church, we're expecting everybody to really be just be very really just put out and do whatever it takes uh to make things happen and, and all and every activity was seen as as a, as a divine part of an order. Uh, and, and and that and that you were just a part of that. You were you, and you were seen as, as your obedience and, and activity were part of that. Is, is that kind of where? Is that sound correct? The sound about right, or or am I am yeah, I are you overstating it?
2: Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, I would say that. Uh, oh, I totally <laughs> lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, I would say that the pressure to kind of conform and go to these meetings um, is just kind of very, it's everywhere. Right. And um, I think where maybe this is gets lost in translation when people, you know, when the church leadership or people in the church say, Oh, there's no pressure. You can choose to do whatever you want. It kind of, overlooks like the coercive nature of the way that the group is set up so Mm -hmm. you get these young impressionable people who are excited and passionate and want to follow god and then give them leaders who are you know a lot of the high school group leaders are in college and they're cool and like older and you want to impress them and then they like are saying like oh these are the things you should do to follow God and be spiritual. So it's never presented as like, you have to do this if you want to be part of our group. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want to grow with God, this is the next step. Okay. And if you want to become spiritually mature, this is that, you know, you should consider doing this. So you should like, it's always, almost always a suggestion, but that's always like kind of the goal is to move people along this pathway to more and more commitment. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and so that was so that rules that that was a, obviously again something we've been hearing that Zechariah's vision is to replicate itself and, and and you know turn the world upside down and, and make make the make the, the form of Christianity into the form of small groups, and that obviously by doing that it was going to obviously pull people into itself by by recruitment that, that made everybody part of, of, of a home church network that was small. And, and, and could be easily, uh, easily controlled. And that, and that, that was, a, and that control, uh, led to, you know, again, uh, really, uh, magnifying the elitism that, 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 that kind of vision actually has. I mean, for a church, mm-hmm. for a church to say, you know, we're, we're going to reach the world for Jesus Christ. We're going to make every, we're going to, you know, help people become more conformed to the image of Christ, and then turn around and make conformity into a, or, or, or translate that conformity into a coercion, like you said, a, uh, a, a, comp- a compulsion for everybody to, to mimic everybody else, as mm-hmm. opposed to really understanding what it means to walk with God on your own as an independent person. Uh, that's kind of really where, where that elitism comes from, because, because it, it, you learn pretty quickly. The leaders, the leaders are, 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 are those who you follow without question, right? Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's a really good point that you just made. Um, just kind of the idea that there is this, uh, pervasive pressure, but that again, it's, it doesn't come off as nefarious when you're in it, right? Right. You're like excited to be growing and you're exciting excited to become more involved you know and the people who are you know asking you to do more things are excited for you to do that and they're excited to be asking you and they're excited to be doing it and just everyone is very excited to be there and so I think that a lot of the coercive aspects of that community get lost in translation because of that because people are making their own decisions but it's this is just something I wish that the church would have a little more, uh, or at least take some time to reflect on, okay, we are, you know, essentially manipulating these young people into this lifestyle. Uh, is that something we should reconsider? Is that something we should be doing? Cause it's having this effect that we didn't intend for it to. And so, um, yeah, I think that is a definitely an area that the church should improve on.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And, and that's really, you know, the, the unfortunate thing, you know, um, about something like Xenos. Xenos is a system of religion that, that, that comes off or tries to, you know, uh, you know, it, it basically, um, what's what we am looking for. It, it really tries very hard to, um, to project this image, of being new, uh, the purest form of New Testament Christianity, we have you know groups, we have small, caring, intimate communities. We study the Bible, we fellowship, we live with each other, we get to know each other. We we, as Melanie once sang in a song so many years ago, we bled into we bleed into other, everybody everybody's else's wounds. We know one another, we love each other, we care for another, and in the middle of all that, you, 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 it becomes obvious that. That this is something that everybody is, is taught is normal. Uh, and then when you're taught that something is normal, then the, all the other conditions that they say go with it just become unquestioned, right? You, you, you really just at that point are at a, at a loss to really understand how, how you can even ask questions. I mean, uh, is that, is that sound, is that fair or is that, does that sound about, uh, an overstatement of the problem?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that it depends whether or not you can really get away, quote unquote, with like asking questions or being, you know, not certain something is done correctly. A lot of it depends on like where you are, how long, how far along in the like process you are. So if you're someone who's been there for a long time and you're trying to move into leadership, you know, or they're trying to move you into leadership. Obviously, if you start having doubts and they're, like asking questions, that's going to be a huge deal and it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know, relatively new to the church, they're very encouraging of questions, but only so that they can correct your, um, misconceptions that you might have about what the truth is. And I think that is a big part of what makes Zenos so dangerous and harmful is that they, in their minds have the backing of God. They have the backing of the Bible and everything that they do, they have a Bible verse they can point to and said, see, God said, we should do this. And so it's what we do. Like everything has a Bible verse. And so um, it makes it really dangerous and makes it really hard for people in the group to hear any criticism from the outside because they're like, but, but the Bible. And we follow the Bible, and we're a Bible-based church, and you know, it always comes back to their interpretation of the Bible is the one true way to interpret the Bible, and therefore they have God's backing on all these things that they do. Right,
1: right. Well, you, anyone outside that circle can't possibly really understand what they are doing unless you're a part.
2: Exactly.
1: Uh, and, and that's, and I've been doing this, I've been throughout our, our interviews with people with, with various ex-members when, when they bring something up One of the things that like that for me just so really closes the deal and really demonstrates that, that the uh, Xenos is cultic is, is what is that the principle you're describing so well there. And that's, that's analogous to what I've been talking about the past few months uh, and I really hope people have been able to, to catch that. Because to me, uh, a cult is not just doctrine alone. It's not just, it's, and that's something that that uh, that they take great pains in Zianos you know, to kind of prove with all the papers and things they write about cults. Uh, I was, quote, I was reading one today, uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but, uh, but they make great pains at, uh, pointing out that, uh, cultism, uh, is, and certainly does involve, um, uh, you know, doctrinal aberrancies, denial of the Trinity, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And then it goes also, also on to point out, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, cults are also places that, that, that they quoted one expert saying, uh, in a cult group, you're not allowed to question or doubt a or rule or to call attention to factual information that suggests some internal contradiction with, within the belief system or a contradiction with what you've been told. Now, that's Margaret Singer, who is a well-known and, and, and sadly, dearly departed, uh, one of, the, one of the truly great cult experts of the 20th century. And uh, they quoted that in this paper. And, uh, they even go on to say cults prohibit members from dissenting or disagreeing with the prerogatives uh, of the church. I find that how interesting for them, for them to hide behind that like a fig leaf to take that kind of principle of truth and use it as a way to, 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 to say, well, we don't do that. We certainly don't, Absolutely. don't do it like that. But, but, but in essence, uh, they do. Uh, and the principle that I was talking about that is, is most clearly Document here is, is, you know, and Singer talks about it here, uh, she, she mentions, she doesn't mention it specifically, but, but she's actually speaking of it. Uh, it it's a principle that Robert J. Lifton, uh, another guy that they quote in this same paper, uh, I believe, uh, he's, he was, he was, uh, wrote a book called, um, uh, uh Thought Control or Thought Reform in the Psychology of Totalism. And he was the one of the first, uh, researchers that really set forth the, the, um, the notion of of cultic mind control and and he called it thought reform and there was and there were several there were eight principles he described, and one of those which I just mentioned you described so well is called uh and which singer spoke of is called um uh the sacred science, and that's exactly what xenos sets itself. To to be the sole guardians of the, the the great heralds of it's 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 a uh, it's a group's unique claims authority or wisdom that's supported by or being perfectly compatible with established biblical scientific historical or psychological truths and that and that it's and that these truths are have to be accepted without question uh, it's a profound revelation that can't be understood anywhere else but by 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 having the mindset. That only a member would have. Their insights and teachings are presented as a perfect harmony of cutting-edge uh, scientific or achievement that's never been achieved before by any other human endeavor, and that's exactly what you're saying. It you can't be questioned because it's sacred. It's from God. It's it, can, it cannot be denied. And that's exactly what Xenos does, and that's what that is one. I can go right down the list, but that's one of the many things Xenos does that proves to me that it is indeed quite cultic, even when it takes the words of of cult experts to kind of hide behind. I'm, uh, yeah, I
2: absolutely uh, agree with you that they definitely dodge the cult thing a lot. Um, even actually, in their response to the Daily Beast, when I was reading through it, um, I noticed. uh that, let's see, I'll actually read it because I have it up. Um, There is a quote from the article that says, while the group might not have a classic charismatic leader, its adherence to a single strict ideology still dominates members' lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Its network of home church leaders are deputized to enact that ideology, isolating them from the outside world and leaving them in a bounded reality. And then the response to that was, this person's own definition of a cult requires a central leader who is authoritarian. There's no such person in our church. So was, they responded to, the, you know, this wide kind of, they do this and they do this and they do this. Like, But we don't have a central leader, so we're not a cult. And don't address, you know, the issues as far as a, the adherence to it. A single, strict ideology that dominates members' lives, isolating them from the outside world and leaving them in a bounded reality. It's just like, but this doesn't absolutely fit the definition of a cult. Therefore, we're fine. Yeah,
1: just, right. Um, such <laughs> so a like,
2: dishonest it's, way to engage with that, in my opinion. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the emperor it's the emperor marching through the middle of town, and it's the one kid that wakes up. Hey, he guys got his clothes on you know, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, that's exactly what you see, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, it, this is a movement that's so tone deaf to itself, it can't see the, the forest for the trees, uh, and, and they just cannot understand, I, and I, I don't think they still understand, I, I think personally that their consciences, and and uh, whatever faculties of, of, um, of uh, that would transmit and interpret for them genuine feelings of, of remorse or regret are, are just something that I really think that, that they've suspended or, or, or completely blown away. And that's something that in high, in high pressure groups like Xenos will happen. And I think, I mean, can you, can you, do you, you remember seeing, I know that Jessica and, and, uh, and Katie had, and, and, and you know, that they were your, I guess, friends of yours that you guys really knew yeah. each other uh, and, and talked with them you know um and and others um they they began to recognize a lot of good good sincere zealous young men and women become robots become literal literal puppets of 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 an idea of that ideology that 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 made them into something that they that that, that ceased them for lack of a better word they stopped becoming who they were, and they and they took on a mindset and, and a programming that really made them become slaves, literal slaves. And and you were raised, however, to just accept that as normative. Uh, I, I'm sure that you know those when those became your marching orders, your lifestyle. Yet it, it, it was no big deal to you, right? You I mean, it was just the way it was.
2: So I do think it's interesting because um, I I can't uh, wrap my mind fully around and reconcile m- the way that my mother and father raised me with Xenos. Um, <laughs> my mother raised me, my mother particularly raised me to be very, uh, curious and think about things and be intellectual and questioning and all these kinds of things. So I, I don't want to say that I was raised to just accept things. Um uh. My experience with Xenos was that, um, I was, Xenos raised me in its role in my life to be unquestioning of things. Right. Um, and I actually think this is a good segue to talk kind of about my personal experience yes, that I had in the church. Exactly. Right. Um,
1: yeah. What was, all was so, that like? How much of that, wor- how much of that was, you know, kept, kept you rooted into that?
2: Yeah, so, um, I mean, I could talk for hours about my experience, but I think the thing that the biggest thing that I still to this day struggle with, um, is, uh, shortly after Katie, uh, who you had on a few weeks ago, shortly after she left the church, um, she was in a very serious car accident, um, where she broke, she broke her pelvis and was in the hospital and had surgery and everything. And the driver of the car died. Um, he passed away, unfortunately, her friend who was driving. So, um, after that, I obviously freaked out and I went to go visit her at the hospital. I just, she, you know, she wasn't in the church anymore, but I still loved her very deeply. I still do to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, wanted to be with her, wanted to care for her, wanted to just be a friend, like a normal human being. Yeah. And um, I remember being in the hospital, Was it was in Cincinnati, and I got a call from my boyfriend at the time who had been talking to leadership. And he was basically like, you know, this doesn't change anything, right? You know, you still can't be involved in her life. You can't, you know, the love, and this was something that like I was told over and over again when she left after her accident, all these things, um, that it, I had to cut her off because that was the loving thing to do for her is to not continue to give her you know my love and affection, which was, you know, by proxy, <laughs> God's love, because she had chosen to walk away from God, because she had chosen to ignore God's will for her life, apparently, um, by choosing to leave the church, and um, yeah, so, that was something that Katie has since obviously forgiven me, and um, I will say that I have never forgiven myself and I don't know if I ever will be able to, um, for not being there for her during that incredibly painful time in her life. Um, but that for me was just kind of where I started to really start to see the level of mind control that was going on where like I was told because of mm-hmm. the beliefs of the church, which they say are the, what the Bible teaches. Um, that I wasn't allowed to help my friend recover from a horrifying accident because she wasn't following God, like, mm-hmm. and that I wasn't allowed to have a different opinion on that. I wasn't allowed to be like, well, I think this. I wasn't allowed to fight with it. I just had to, like, accept it and do it. And I did accept it, and I did do it, and I didn't leave the church for a couple of years after that. Um but that I think was really just what started unraveling things for me was having to go through just, uh, just that it was all honestly like emotional torture, like have this person that I love more than anything and just having to cut them off and have people tell me, if you love her, you will cut her off. If you don't cut her off, you're not loving her that, you know, it's your, it's your flesh that wants to go spend time with her. You're being selfish because you want to spend time with her, and it will feel good to you. You need to ignore that because God wants her to hit rock bottom in the world so that she'll come back. No, no And no. if you, she has you in your life, then she's not going to hit rock
1: bottom. Yeah, right. And, and yours is certainly a testimony that we've heard over and over again how actually – Amorant, uh, onerous, uh, wrong, for lack of a better word, that it actually is. I mean, it's just absolutely unconscionable for me to believe that a Christian church is actually directing people to cut them off just because they, they have questions or have issues in their life. You know, you know the, the, when I read scripture, you know, as, as a pastor, as a minister, you know, I, I read uh, in, in that uh, I read in, 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 in for, for example, in Second Thessalonians chapter three, it, 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 that kind of action certainly is alien to, to what, to what the, the apostle says here. He, you know, he says, uh, "If any man obey not, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, and that he may be ashamed." Now, I think that's where Zenos is trying to get all of its fire and thunder, and yet. They kind of forget the next part of the verse. Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there's continued contact, there's continued care and loving. I mean, the, 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 the word here, admonish, is, is meant to be something that you do in love. You know, if if my if my uh, I mean if I, if I had you know, any of my brothers around, my, my my personal blood brothers, and they and I they're caught up in something, I would certainly. You know I have words with them, but I wouldn't cut them off. I would certainly you know make my make my views known, but I wouldn't cut them off I mean that's just not what the scripture here is saying. it's just you're supposed to admonish them, but Zenos apparently feels that's that's too much or they or did they, or did I mistranslate that part of the Bible wrong
2: so I think that um I want to be very clear that it's not if someone's sitting um you know, cut them off. That's very much not what it is, but there's kind of this mindset that is um, taught and kind of perpetuated in Xenos that you basically have two options in life. You can follow God and that the best way you can do that is by doing all the Xenos stuff, or you can not follow God, reject his will for your life, and go and be part of the world, you know, where you're getting drunk all the time and having casual sex and doing drugs and stealing things, you know, like, it's just this very black and white, like, (laughs) the world is this awful, terrible place. And when people leave, there, they are doing awful, terrible things. And so that mindset, I think, kind of fuels this notion that if someone Leaves the church and decides like, I'm not going to follow God anymore and the way that you have prescribed that I need to do it. I think people kind of get in their head like, oh, well, that means that they're, you know, drinking all the time and having sex with everyone. And like, they're just this like sinful person now that, you know, and we have to just let them you know, realize they have to realize for themselves how terrible that is and how unfulfilling it is. And then they'll come back. They'll come back, you know, on their hands and knees begging for us to help them because they're so unhappy. Um Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I think that especially when people, you know, choose to leave the group, um it may be different if they're like going to a different church, but if they choose to like not be involved with god anymore right Mm -hmm. they don't want to follow that path then it's like they got to be cut off because they have to realize how bad it is so that they'll come back to god and that's why it's loving that's why you know that's why it's the caring thing to do for them because you know obviously following god is the best thing for them it's the only way they're going to be happy how could they be happy out in this big bad terrible world right so um yeah, it's, it really just warps the way that you look at things and really like, I mean, obviously (laughs) it just really changes it. I remember believing wholeheartedly that God was calling me to suffer and to, um, you know, cut Katie out of my life, uh, even though I desperately wanted her to be in it and I desperately wanted to help her and comfort her, um. He was calling me to do that as this kind of, like, trial to help, you know, further his purpose. Right. And, like, looking back, I'm obviously, that is insane. That's absolutely crazy. But at the time, I wholeheartedly believed that, and I thought I was doing the right thing.
1: Right, right. And, right. I mean, because that's what your heart and your conscience were telling you. So look, I I I want this woman in my life because I love her. She's my friend. Uh, she's she's a dear person to me, and oh, she's left the church. Well, well, obviously, I, I, because leadership says so. Because this is what the Bible supposedly says. uh I'm the I am to count them as an enemy. I'm not to talk to them at all. I'm not to have anything to do with them. But again, getting back to what I, what I share in Scripture, that's not what it says. You are following the spirit of that verse. In your heart and mind, but the church is telling you, no, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not biblical. And, and, and that just has to set up those horrible, horrible, uh, uh, dissonance within. I mean, and, and, and you said that at that point, that's what really led you to really start thinking about and re-examining, uh, what, you, what you really saw. Did, did you have discussions with this, with, with anyone in the church or your or family or friends within Zenosla? about, about that, that kind of struggle with it, or was that a, a, a conversation you really felt you couldn't have with anybody there?
2: Yeah. I really didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it. Um, uh. just because, you know, at that point I was kind of, I was being, I was in like leadership training. So I was like, um, working on moving up into the in the group and to like a position of leadership in a home church Um, I was kind of next in line for that getting trained and I didn't you know to be able to be in that position you have to prove like your commitment and your devotion you know over time Um, and so I didn't really feel like I could be like express any of my doubts or concerns because you. That while allowed, it's always allowed. You're allowed to say whatever you want. You're allowed to believe whatever you want, but it has consequences mm-hmm. and it has consequences on how you're viewed in the group and, you know, the rewards that you can get as far as teaching or discipling other people or becoming a leader. You know, all of that is very much contingent on drinking the Kool-Aid for <laughs> lack <laughs> kind of a better
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so I think that. You know, that is something that in the response to the Daily Beast articles, Zenos also did, was kind of like, oh, well, anyone can do anything. And it's like, no one's forcing anyone to do anything. It's like, correct. No one is holding a gun to anyone's head and saying, you have to do this or I'm going to shoot you. Like, if that's your definition of, like, pressure or forcing people to do things... Then, I guess you are correct, however, the way that the group is set up is highly coercive, and you know it just you it rewards people it rewards people who subscribe to the party line and punishes those who do not yeah, and it's right. very clear, it's very obvious to all, even though it's never said explicitly
1: right and and it comes out in the most innocuous intimate and yet deeply personal ways that are most impacting to young people it comes out in small groups it comes out with disciples who end up having to you know basically compel obedience or submission in some way right i mean that's and 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 to question that is to question god i mean that's that's what i keep hearing again and again And again, and then, and then when, when, when the, when the pain gets, uh, gets, uh, spread all over, uh, it's not, it's, well, the church will say, well, it's not their fault. You misunderstood us.
2: Right? Exactly. That's exactly what, um, they do. And I've noticed, uh, I also noticed in the response to the Daily Beast article, and I've noticed this in other responses, that, the like high up leadership in Xenos really punts mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility for things that happen in home churches. Um, you know, they're like, Oh, we're a decentralized church and, you know, there's all these different leaders and, you know, maybe this happened here, but it was an isolated event or like just being like, Oh, we don't teach this. Therefore it clearly couldn't have happened. And instead of, you know, taking responsibility for these leaders that they train and they oversee and they raise up, they kind of, like, say, well, we don't explicitly teach this, uh, so therefore if it's happening, it, it's not supposed to. <laughs> like that's nice. Right. Like, nice. You need to, like, consider what are the structural issues that if this is really not something you are teaching your home church leaders to do, why do so many of them think it's something that they should do? Right. And the answer is either that they actually are teaching it or that there's something – In the way that the system is set up, that makes people think this is what they are being taught.
1: Right. And then, like you said, when when your experience doesn't when your experience doesn't line up with what they tell you, you should be feeling. uh, Guess whose fault it is? It can't be. It can't be the sacred science. It's perfect. You, you, can't, exactly. you, you can't question that. It's, it's, it's from God. So, therefore, we have to find some other convenient way to explain away clearly uh, what's going on here. And, and that's something that, uh, that uh, Xenos is quite brilliant at in, in, in mustering its apologies uh, for its actions among itself. I, I want to flip flip for you and uh, you can tell me who this is I'm pretty sure you will recognize who this person is speaking uh' it's a, it's a dwell leader who really I think really makes the point that we're talking about and and, and it it speaks directly to uh, the struggle you had and 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 after you dealt with it you finally understood you know what was going on uh what the context was behind Jessica and everybody else's uh uh, uh, defections from Zenos, uh, the, this leader really tries to put their own spin. I, I, I'd like you to listen to this. And uh, the leader, I believe, is, is it James? Uh, James Rochford. I believe it's who he is. Yes.
3: When you start seeing everything through a, a cynical lens, the less you can see reality and all you can see is your lens. It's a narrative. Making unfalsifiable claims. How is it in a post-truth culture that this would work? you know, I was really hurt by somebody in your church. Okay, who was it? Well, I don't want to say. Okay, well, what's your name? I don't want to say that either. What did they do? Well, I don't want to say that either. How can we apologize or grow or help others if we can't actually look into the story involved? I can't tell you how many cases I've run into of people where I'm saying, hey, I'm here to help. If something like that happened, I would want to offer a word of correction and actually speak to the person who said or did that to you. Instead, making an unfalsifiable claim, I can't. I can't do anything. And so it lingers as kind of just a vague cloud that we can't. We can't interact on this at all.
1: And here he is. He, he, he's, he's wanting us to understand that that that, that this is just. Uh, that, that people who want to come forward and be honest with Xenos and who, who basically, you know, want to avoid being re-victimized without actually getting into all their details are just ruthlessly pressed aside, pushed aside. I mean, uh, what, what, what's your reaction to that?
2: Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of that in uh James Rockford's response to the Daily Beast article that I keep talking about because it was just so terrible, but <laughs> I think that what that says to me is Zeno's approaches everything like this on the defensive. Right. right? Like his first instinct isn't to listen, to hear the experience, to try to understand what happened. His first instinct is to be like, "Well, can you prove it?" You know, and I need to be able to investigate this. So you have to tell me the name and you have to blah, 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 like all these things instead of, you know, what motivation would someone have for just making up a story like this? Like, I don't understand what they think is happening with all these people coming forward and saying that they were abused, that they suffered, that they experienced all these horrible things, you know, if it's, if they're not telling the truth, And just, like, I'm not saying, obviously, they can't investigate or, like, try to, you know, hear other sides of the story, but I think it really represents just a refusal to even listen in the first place and try to learn. And even if it comes out, right, that, like, what this person is saying happened, you know could be explained through some other thing or whatever. Like it wasn't exactly how it happened. That's how this person perceived this. That is how they experienced your church. And what could the church do to make sure that more people don't have that experience? Right. Like, and that's, I just, I want them to just look at these things with a much more open mind and an open heart to try to like change, even if they don't think they're doing anything wrong, quote unquote wrong this keeps happening and there are so many people that have had this experience and I don't know how you can just look at that and say like, no, we're right. We're fine. We're fine. That was, that was okay. And that was okay. And that was okay. Like maybe you couldn't technically argue you didn't do anything wrong, but is that what you want? Do you want to be technically right? Or do you want to be loving? And do you want to have a positive impact on people? Yeah. Like I don't, it's just, the mindset is baffling to me like if someone came and told me this is how as a person as a human being who is not trying to be a church not trying to share God's love with people I'm just a human trying to live my life someone came to me and be like hey you know th- this thing you did made me feel this way and I have this experience because of it right. I would think about that and I would see if there was something you know like even if I think I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, I should technically be allowed to do that, or it's okay to do that. It's not immoral to do that. But me, I don't want to make people feel bad. I don't want to hurt people. So maybe I will need to change my behavior in the future so that I don't do this again. It's just like basic being a human stuff. And I just, it blows my mind that they just refuse to engage on the stuff on that, or yeah. even really on any level, yeah, besides yeah. trying to defend themselves and deflect yeah. all these accusations.
1: Right, they're actually being quite consistent, though, with, with, with the way that they've structured themselves. I mean, they, they, you know, Zenos does claim to be a pretty pretty deep intellectual. Uh, church in itself, you know, they, they, Absolutely. they, they have classes in apologetics and uh, world views and philosophy and et cetera, et cetera. And, and throughout this whole, this whole shtick that, uh, uh, Rodford put, and by the way, the name of that talk was, uh, uh committed Christianity. In a post-truth culture that was done back in, I believe, in uh, February or, or January, uh, not too long after we had the uh, meeting or tried to have the meeting uh, with Dennis and Gary. Um, that's, mm-hmm. when, that's when me and uh, Megan, uh, Megan um, Cox had uh, had visited the offices. And had uh, had the now infamous Zoom meeting that that they immediately p- put it on on the internet. We we never agreed to that. We never discussed it. But in retrospect, I really, I really could care less. I think it really just kind of showed really how much more uh, dedicated to defending the power line they really were. But this talk came after that, and the talk really was just focused upon on on, on a, an argument, not a dialogue, but an argument. And to me, it, it kind of showed me. To what end any attempt at dialogue would actually end up in in resulting in. I mean, uh, the 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 point he made there, say he said, it's impossible to apologize, grow, or help others if you don't know the people involved. And the question is, you know, why is that? Uh, why Correct. does that follow? I mean, if if something was done wrong, and for them, and and they might claim that there were people who they say made unfalsifiable claims because they didn't know who they were or they didn't identify them. And that's one of the things that they pressed home with us as well. If you don't tell us who these people are, how can we investigate? How can we know what really happened? Uh, the point is, they're hearing now, and they've known people like you and others, uh, for, for, for quite a few years. They've known people who've approached them about these things. They have known situations, and they've just completely blown them away. Completely dismissed them as just these cynical, uh, uh anti-religious people who have their own narratives and their own agenda. And, and in fact, if, if you watch this video, which is on YouTube, by the way, um when when you, when you watch this video they, they really get into a, a, a like a laundry list of uh, things that they feel that you should uh, be looking at and uh, and one of those lists one of those lists they make uh, specifically relates to basically their their arguments that they make uh, they they believe that the um, uh, dwell is being attacked uh by postmodernists modernistic uh, critics who use the internet to spread misinformation, who dehumanize by anonymity, who silence those who disagree, who utilize this cynical narrative. And um, really though, I I think that could be less your concern at the time you were leaving, right? You you were just being someone that really had questions and you realized you couldn't answer you, you couldn't get those answers anymore. You couldn't you couldn't feel safe in, in, in harboring anything different than the party line is and that is that kind of where you were going with that that helped you re-examine and finally leave? well or, or what what was going on at that point
2: yeah so I definitely um had started to question things and then um when I turned 20 the ripe old age of 20 um <laughs> I started to really question these things that I had to spend like told as facts, like, my whole life. Um, yeah. And I, I also became, you know, interested in seeing what else was out there outside the very small world of Xenos. Um, so I actually, uh I experimented a little bit with some drinking, and I made out with a couple boys because I'm a horrible, dirty sinner. <laughs> and so then I got um, actually removed from my uh, ministry house and I was like I was asked to step down from leadership in uh the, I was working in the high school group at the time as a leader so I was asked to step down from that and then um I was discipling two people and they both kind of fired me as their discipler <laughs> um so I wasn't kicked out of the church but I had definitely undergone this discipline I was no also like removed from sitting in on the college group leadership meetings, um and so I just after that things are just very awkward <laughs> um like I would come to the group and no one people would like kind of talk to me but I felt like I was like a new person like I was no longer A part of the group um and then having the distance of not living in the ministry house and not spending every waking second of my life with xenos people doing xenos things i just started leaning more into my questions and thinking about things um and so then i ended up kind of just like fading out from the group i didn't have a dramatic departure um right But uh, I mean, that was.
1: You basically walked away.
2: Yes, I did. Um, and so, uh, but I want to make it very clear: I did not walk away because I didn't want to follow God. I still loved God with all my heart. I have memories of just laying in bed, like crying out to God, like, Mm, "Why is this happening? Why can't like I want I want to believe this. This is, you know, I want you to make it make yourself known to me and uh you know obviously Zenos was not doing that for him (laughs) so um -hmm. yeah I think that that's a because it is so extreme I think that Zenos does really uh push people away who otherwise would be followers of God or would you know be devoted and loving christians like i think kind of gives this impression that this is the only way to follow god and it's very intense you know they describe it as warfare right we're up you're a soldier in a battle like all these things it's all very intense and you have to do all this stuff and if you don't do that you might as well just not do anything
1: right right
2: um it's a very so, yeah, militant yeah.
1: very very militant imagery and there, there's 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 no room to turn around and stop and pick you back up you got you better be marching
2: absolutely, yeah. yeah, and so especially like once you get into like i think part of the reason I was disciplined so harshly is because i was had been set out as a model I had been sent out as like a leader, someone to aspire to be like, and so they i feel like they had to they felt like they had to like Make an example out of me and, um, you know, teach, I, make sure people know it's not okay to kiss boys. (laughs) Well, that's a a bit of an exaggeration,
1: I understand, right. Well, it's it's just.
2: my coping mechanism.
1: And and that's perfectly understandable. It's, that's, humor is sometimes the best way to, uh, to to handle this sort of thing. It certainly is. (laughs) so you've you' walked away and um what was that like what's what's it been like since you've gone since you've gone what what have you uh what about what is it about the outside world that uh seems to be connecting with you
2: yeah so for the longest time um i when i explain this i say i had to learn how to be a human because mm-hmm. i didn't yeah. know how to be a human um i know i didn't know how to make decisions for myself i didn't know how to like analyze options and decide this is what I think I should do right every decision that I made in dwell was okay let here are the options what does God say I should do what does my disciplers say I should do it was never Mm -hmm. I was always trying to figure out you know like what God's will for my life was over like every detail and so I had to learn at 21 for the first time how to decide things and i had to learn you know how to have normal interactions with people because you know in xenos everything was like if you're interacting with someone in the church you're supposed to be trying to serve them you're supposed to be you know trying to build them up you're supposed to be fellowshipping and if you're interacting with someone who's not a believer then you're supposed to be trying to get to know them so that you can bring them to group and save their soul and so you know, I I didn't know how to just talk to people. <laughs> you know, all these like very basic human things that I had no idea how to just do on my own. Um, yeah. so, so that was my very challenging, and it, it took some trial and error. But I, I think I'm pretty. I, I I can make decisions now sometimes. <laughs> so there's
1: that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, so, in, in leaving that at that point, really, it sounds to me like, uh, like you said, and that that's certainly not a, not a, um, an isolated thing. I mean, so many people testified in the same thing after leaving a place like Xenos, and others from Xenos, I spoke with it, said the same thing. They, they literally were con- so conditioned to Teach people to look unto others to do their thinking for them, to, do, to help them make their decisions. That, you know, that leaving a group like that and, and setting out on your own is really quite a brave act. It's, it's something of, of, that you're trying to, you know, build your own foundation with. And um, and I really, you know, and I really, you know, it's just so sad, you know, to hear that uh, a place supposedly set up to help you become who you're supposed to be. Uh, by walking with God and knowing Him personally and intimately, and serving His Son, and 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 that 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 whole enterprise just became a, a huge exercise of indoctrination uh, by phobias and and by and by controlling you and really making you you know, completely dependent upon them, and, and and that the sometimes just that the shock of leaving that can be so destructive for some of the people and I'm, I'm glad that uh, you, you've been able to, to really integrate that more into that so um so so what what are some of the key things you would say to people who are listening right now who, who might be thinking about you know uh they might be at the point where they're thinking about about you know really taking to heart what you're saying and re-examining what it is that they're struggling with what would you say to people who are who are maybe you, listen to you and, and, and realizing that maybe I maybe they need to re examine their own involvement. What, what would you say to them that would help them see that it that might not necessarily be a bad thing?
2: Yeah, so um to anyone who is considering, you know, if they want to be involved with dwell, if they're considering leaving, um, obviously Everyone is in a different situation. Uh, my, I think the best advice that I can give you is to try to get some space however you can from the group. So I don't know if it's a, you know, family of vacation with your family who's not in dwell or whatever you need to do to kind of like get away from it for a little while and just spend some time thinking about you. And who you are and what you really want and what you believe. And if you think what is happening in the group is right. And if you agree with the direction that the church is going. And I know it can be challenging, especially if you've been in it for a long time to know your actual thoughts and opinions about things. Um, but the space definitely, mm. you know, helps with that because you just have, t- just take some time to be quiet and by yourself and just look at try to look into your heart and see what you believe um or what you have questions about if you don't know what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. I think yeah, I would just definitely recommend to keep thinking, keep questioning and try to take some space from that like environment of just constant a constant barrage of like Venos. Mm-hmm. Well right. I guess it is now <laughs>
1: right, right. It's not necessarily a bad thing to sleep in on Sundays, is it? <laughs> I don't no, think it is. definitely I
2: think it's definitely a good not thing. a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good thing to be in service with people and fellowship. Nothing wrong with any of that. I'm certainly, as a, as a Christian minister, you know, certainly believe in spiritual formation and fellowship, but, uh, but certainly not the way Zenos is doing it. That's certainly something that has become, sadly, a very toxic form of, of of a very brutally victimizing, uh, religious abuse as, as we started our broadcast with our podcast with, and, um, is there anything else you'd like to say. Maybe, maybe there's some people who you, who you really deeply care about, uh, who you might know are still in, that you maybe like to leave a message with, or maybe you'd like to check in with them and say, you know, say what it is that's on your mind. Uh, as we, as we close here, uh, is there something else you, you would like to say to them or anyone specific that, uh, you'd like to speak to maybe, maybe you want to speak to the powers, you know, you know the, the power that be, or maybe there's, maybe there's someone that uh, might be listening who who uh, you've not been in touch with. I mean, is there anything you'd like to leave by?
2: Yeah, I do want to speak to the powers that be. Um, I would just really ask the leadership if they, Hear this to just really take some time to try to self-reflect and see, you know, obviously we're not going to agree on maybe a lot of things, but to see if there's anywhere in the church where they think they could improve the way that they are affecting people. There are now hundreds, maybe thousands of people who have come out with these stories of how Xenos has deeply hurt them. And I would just ask the leadership to have a more open heart and mind to those stories and just try to just at least be open to considering it. Um, you know, the way that leadership has responded to these accusations has just shown a complete disregard and unwillingness to consider that they did anything wrong. And maybe that's, you know, not how they feel in their hearts. Maybe. They have considered it and they've come to this conclusion, but know that the front you're presenting to the world is a defensive one that does not seem open to change or growth or anyone's stories and doesn't seem to care about the hurt that they've caused. So obviously I can't judge what's in their heart, but that is what their response is communicating. And so I would just ask leadership to reconsider and try to just honestly respond to these accusations and if the church has done something wrong or it has done the things that they have been accused of and they don't think that it's wrong just be honest and explain your position on it I just the way that it's been dodged and everything like that is just not okay and so I just yeah. yeah that's my spiel (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i i certainly uh, cannot agree with you more and i and i certainly would hope although unfortunately i i can't i i just can't be compelled to hold my breath that that the the, the leaders of xenos and dwell that are listening today as i know you will be uh, i hope that you go back and read those verses again and And then you got, like she said, like uh Amy has pointed out you need to really look deep within yourselves and see where you' where you have missed the turn um you you you've missed a turn completely and, and and um uh you simply don't understand what the road ahead is for you you really think you know where you're going, uh, but you've been powering an engine of abuse and it's it's tragic that people out ever that you know that uh that, that uh, people outside um your the, the fellowship there can can see the abuses and you can't you said choose to hide behind your your mountains of words and apologies and and papers that you create and, and you, you just really don't see that when that one that when one person is hurt that's one too many and God will hold you accountable for that and and really uh, I really don't want to be anywhere near the throne of judgment when God speaks to you about that. And that's something you can still change, though. You can still do something good. You can still turn things around. I hope, indeed, that that's something that uh, God really, really will, will really speak to you very directly about. And, uh, Amy, once again, thank you uh, so much for the time today. It's been enlightening, and I'm hoping to have you and, and, and other people back on pretty soon here. Uh, we've got some, some 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 interesting projects we're working on, and I appreciate you sharing uh, this uh, this specific uh, Saturday. Thank you so much, and uh, I think my wife's got some more flam out there. You can take it home when you leave.
2: <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on. It's
0: been a pleasure.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Amy. We, we, we appreciate right. your time. Thank you.
0: Bye now. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, Email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.